you want to turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy 10 and 11. 10 and 11. This is where Moses gets his second set of tablets. First one's God hewn and wrote on. This time Moses will have to hew them himself, and God will write on them again. But um, the first pair of tablets got broken, um, even before they came down the mountain and got physically broken. The people were breaking the commandments even before they got down with them written on these stone tablets. And so Moses symbolically broke them um, because they were broken, breaking them, and then um, it was a deal. And so this is the story of him getting his second set of tablets from the Lord because he wants them to have that acknowledgement um, that God's got a set of rules and some things he'd like us to follow for our best, for our good. Um, but he doesn't want it to be crushed. He wants them to be readable. He always makes himself very understandable. God isn't, he's got mysterious ways about him, but the things he wants us to know, he makes sure that we know. Um, God's will isn't impossible to know. It is possible uh, to understand God's ways. That's not impossible. He wants us to sit and reason with him. Um, and so this is a great example of that. He makes it very clear. Uh, there's not going to be any excuse for being disobedient or for not walking with God. He, he makes it very, very clear for us all to know what he expects and what he likes to see. Um, and so he writes it on stone, not on paper, not something that can decay, but on, on rock so that we know. It begins in verse 1, At that time the Lord said to me, Hew for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and come up to me on the mountain and make yourself an ark of wood. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke, and you shall put them in the ark. So I made an ark of acacia wood, hewed two tablets of stone like the first, and went up the mountain having the two tablets in my hand. And he wrote on the tablets according to the first writings, uh, or writing. The Ten Commandments, which the Lord had spoken to you in the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly, and the Lord gave them to me. Then I turned and came down from the mountain and put the tablets in the ark which I had made, and there they are, just as the Lord commanded me. Now this ark is the ark of the covenant. It has the two tablets in it, but it also has a jar of manna, and it has the rod of Aaron that was budded, that proved his authority, that God had placed him in charge, basically. He's the priest as there was a challenge at the time. There's always a challenge to leadership, and God always has to uh, remind people that. So he's got all these things, and they're for them, so they can always, you know, take a peek, kind of, and be reminded that this is, this is God's. And so um, the ten tablet, or the two tablets that had to be hewn by Moses as a replacement were written with God's finger. Um, and that's all he wrote, though. He wrote the ten. Um, I mean, there's more commandments in the Old Testament, but the ones he wants written on stone were ten. And um, that's important to see that they were God's handwriting and not ours. It wasn't Moses. It wasn't something that was done up in the mountain that Moses just came up with and came down. Look at these tablets I found. They were written. And I would imagine, I don't know for sure, the Bible doesn't tell us, but they were written in such a way that everybody knew it was God's hand. They were perfect. No chisel marks, you know, nothing rough or hewn like he was up there with the sledgehammer and a, and a, and a you know, chisel doing it himself. He came down and they were easy to tell that that was the handwriting of God. So he shows up with those. Now, we sometimes, we can do this as people, we like to tip the Ten Commandments over and, 
and continue to write on them, maybe add an 11th or 12th commandment, um, things that are pet peeves of ours, things that we want different or changed that, that we think people ought to know. And we're not allowed to do that. And it's easy to spot. It's easy to spot when someone writes their own commandments, uh, when they add to God's Word. Um, and so he gives them that. Now, it isn't always like that. In fact, it isn't like that now. At first, in the Old Covenant, you had the Ten Commandments written on stone, but there's a new covenant coming that the prophet Jeremiah speaks of. It's in Jeremiah 31, 31. He says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, uh, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts, on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's the covenant that we're under now. We're under the new covenant. The ten laws, they're still in effect. They're still there, but now it's written on our hearts and it's on our minds to do them. You can't get away with stuff anymore. Um, you don't need something in a park that says, thou shalt not steal. You know you're not supposed to steal now. But the desire there to be obedient to God's word is what he's writing on our hearts. He know, we know what his word is. We know what the laws are. But he also puts it in our hearts to want to obey, to be there. To, we have that conviction that we feel when we don't. We don't get away with anything. And so he writes those on our hearts. As believers in Jesus Christ, as we've trusted him, in, he's given us a new mind and a new heart. And he's written on that heart his laws. And so um, that's a good thing, but it's also a difficult thing because no matter where I go, what I do, right or wrong, I'm either getting a yay or a nay from the Holy Spirit. He's showing me yes or no. That's what he does. And in the process of going the wrong direction, maybe, or making it a bad decision to sin, he'll warn me ahead of time, give me plenty of warning in my heart, in my head. He'll also go with us, unfortunately, into that sin. He never leaves us or forsakes us. Sometimes we wish he would. But in the middle of that sin, there he is. And then afterwards, and that's the hard part, we feel the conviction. And we don't need any stone tablets to tell us what we did wrong. As so he says, someday I'm going to do that. I'm going to write my law on their, heart, on their minds and write it on their hearts. And you're going to have that with you wherever you go. And we do now. And that's where we stand. So I know there's a big push to keep the Ten Commandments written and posted everywhere. But even if they took them all down and smashed every one of them and ground them into bits... No one can escape God's conviction. No one can escape it. No judge can take it out of his courtroom and not feel the conviction of the Lord when he sins. Or any person in a park or any group or organization, they all feel the conviction of the Lord. And he says that's what he does. He does it on purpose for us. And it's also then, on the other hand, an aid, a help. Um, sometimes you get caught up in the moment. Maybe you're not prayed up. You're not ready for that. Fork in the road where I've got to choose life or curse, which we'll talk about here in a minute. And you're still debating whether I should take the, the sin road or, or the righteous road. Which one should I do? And that's when the Holy Spirit comes alongside you, nudges you, or at least points in the right direction. You can go either way. You do have free will. But this is the way God is. And this is the way he's not. And it's up to us to choose that way. And that's a, that's a blessing. You know, that's a good thing. That's a road sign for us. Now, the next set is a, the entire paragraph is a parenthetical statement. He puts it in here to give us a place and a time so we know where we are in the story. As he's relating the story to the children of Israel, actually the second generation, he's giving it to them. 
He now puts this in here so we know where we are. Now the children of Israel journeyed from the wells of uh, Benijakan to Moserah, where Aaron died and where he was buried. And Eliezer, his son, ministered as priest in his stead. From there they journeyed to um, Gojoda, uh, to Gojoda to Batha, <laughs> the land of the river of water. So this is where they are, in, in geogra- you know, geographically where they are. At that time, the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister to him, and to bless in his name to this day. Therefore, Levi has no portion nor inheritance with his brethren. The Lord is his inheritance, just as the Lord your God promised him. So there's your statement. Now, picks it up, picks up the same story. At, at that time, as at the first time, I stayed in the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, the Lord also heard me at that time. And the Lord chose not to destroy you. In other words, I prayed for you. And he says, okay, fine, I won't, I won't wipe them all out. I won't do that. Then the Lord said to me, arise, begin your journey before the people that they may go in and possess the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Now, you could skip that over, um, but I think it's important to note we're pretty hard on ourselves. And, you know, I think at times we should be hard on ourselves as Christians. You know, am I walking with God? Am I doing the right thing? And, and I'm not sometimes, and you know that. And... But we have a very clear enemy uh, who's going to make sure you know every wrong you've ever committed. Satan loves to whisper into our ears and tell us, you know, that was, that was really like the Son of God there. Boy, you look just like Jesus on that one. Um, and he's very much the accuser of the brethren. I bring that up because you need to remind yourself that are you growing at all? Because in this section here, we see growth in the children of Israel. It's a small verse. It's not much to it. But Moses went back up on the mountain for another 40 days and 40 nights. And he didn't come down to a calf. It's a small victory, but he didn't come down to another calf. They waited for him this time. Before he went up, it was like 30 days into it, they're like, we don't know if he's dead or alive. We're going to make this calf and worship him because we don't know if he's ever coming back down again. They weren't sure. And, of course, he got upset. God got upset. But he went up a second time, and he comes down, and they're waiting on him. It's not much improvement, but it's improvement, you know? There's growth. We get frustrated with ourselves because we don't... I, I hate learning a new job because it takes me too long. Simple. I want to know it all, and I want to know it all now, and I want to be an expert at it now. I hate not knowing. And I get frustrated with myself. In, three weeks into it, you know, and you've got, you've got six more weeks of training, and you're three weeks into it, and you're like, oh, it's frustrating, and you're frustrated with yourself for making the same stupid mistake. How many times do I have to ask that person, is this how you do that? Is this the right form for that? How many copies do I make? All the, ugh. But you know what? I'm a lot better off than I was three weeks ago. And I got to remember that. And, and if I stay the course, I'm going to continue to improve. And three weeks from now, I'm going to do a little better. Folks, as Christians, please understand that about yourselves. You're learning. You're walking. You're 10 steps closer. We're seven days closer to heaven from last Sunday, six days. You know, we're getting closer and closer to God. You're, you're one more after today, two more chapters of God's word in your heart, hopefully. You're growing and we're moving forward, even if it is a minor victory, you know, it's a victory. Any parent will tell you that. And I use that example not a lot because God uses that as an example. He's our father, we're his children, and he describes it like that to us. If they walk three steps today, but in a week they're walking 10 steps, that's improvement. Now the kid may feel frustrated, How come I can't run yet? I can't keep up with my older brothers and sisters. And guys, 
You just can't yet. You've got to develop muscles, coordination. The brain has to tell your body what to do. Poor little kids, when that myelon isn't quivering their, their nerves yet, you know, and, and, and they're like this as babies and they can't control their arms and stuff, that must be terribly frustrating for them, you know. But eventually they get it and they start coordinating. They begin to move better and everything. And, and you will too as Christians. You're here. You're here this morning. You didn't have to be here. There's a, ton, there's a lot of sunshine out there. There's a lot of swap meets. There's a lot of things going on, a lot of fishing to be done. But you're not there. You're here. Good job. Well done. You know, one step at a time. So, you know, I take these things. These are little victories for the nation of Israel. Hey, we didn't make a golden calf this time, Moses. All right. Good, I guess. You know, that's good. All right. So, verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today, for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. For the Lord your God is a God of gods and a Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. Good news for them. This is uh, in this section here, um, verses 12 through 22. He divides it into two, and he actually is going over the two greatest commandments here. Remember, Jesus said to love you, Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbors yourself. The first section we just read there is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Here's what I want you to do with me, God says. The second section he's going to talk about, 18 through 22, what I want you to do with people, okay, to love people. But this, I don't want to skip this. He wants them to do something. I want you to obey me, to do what I've asked you to do, to follow my commandments, to do the things that, that show you love me. But verse 16, therefore circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Now, they've already been given circumcision as their badge, what they're supposed to do to show that they're Jews. This is different. He's not reiterating that command. He's telling them something maybe that, and clarifying it to them. I want you to circumcise the foreskin of your heart. We've got two parts to us. We've got the flesh and we've got the spirit. As Christians, we are constantly warring as to whether the flesh is going to do what it wants to do or the spirit's going to do what it wants to do. And we, that's a battle. And he's, he's calling them here. I want you to, like you've cut off the foreskin, I want you to cut off the flesh from your life so that all that's left is the spirit. That's all that's left. I want you to circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Remove that flesh. And that's the old covenant. That's what they were supposed to do. Now this is, very much like what we have in the New Covenant, though. Very similar to baptism. As much as we're supposed to be water baptized, follow Christ in water baptism. To be water baptized is their first act of obedience, but it's from salvation, not for it. Yeah. And that has to be understood that way. Otherwise, we're going to fall into the same problems as they did. They thought because they had physically removed the foreskin that they were okay with God. And they weren't because they hadn't removed the foreskin of their heart. They weren't, they were still in the flesh. They had it, you know, they, they, they had God, they had his word, they had the covenant, they had the ark, they had all this, but they didn't have him in, his heart, in their heart, and that was the error. 
Let me give you a scripture here. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, Peter says, There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. And in case we didn't understand what that meant, he puts in this parenthetical statement again to clarify which baptism he's talking about. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. Much like the circumcision, not the physical cutting off of the foreskin, but the circumcision of the heart that needs to happen. Not the getting wet, not the removal of dirt from the skin when you get into the water, but a clear conscience towards God. That's the baptism that saves you. Water doesn't. It shows that that's happening in your heart, much like the circumcision that's taking place, the physical circumcision shows that there's a circumcision of heart. It's the first act of obedience. God said to circumcise, I'm going to circumcise. That's your first act of obedience because you believed God by faith. Likewise, water baptism is what we do after we've decided to follow Jesus. That has to be understood, lest anybody show up at the pearly gates with their baptismal certificate and he look at them and say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. But I got my certificate. I got wet. No, 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 no. I need the clear conscience before God. That's what I'm looking for. Have you trusted in Jesus? Well, I trusted in the denomination that got me wet. No, 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 no. You have to trust in me. It has to be a personal relationship. It's a big difference. And so even in this new covenant, it's written on our hearts, it's written in our minds. Also, the, the, the baptism has to be a baptism of the heart, has to be a, a heart change towards God, not a physical necessary. Now, we do that. Obviously, we, get, we do immersion water baptism, we absolutely. But for saved people, saved people get baptized. Very important to understand. Um, and you can't do it any other way, and you can't teach it any other way, or you get caught up in this very situation that the Jews found themselves in where God has to clarify and say, no, 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 not the flesh. That's what you do because your heart was circumcised. It follows, you see. The obedience follows, and so does, so does baptism. And so be careful about that. How is your heart? How is your relationship with God? Um, what is your, are you, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that good, clean conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the baptism we go through. That's why we go into the water. It's symbolic. I died to Christ. No longer I that live, but Christ live in me. We rise to new life in Christ. You come out of the water. You're not really baptized. You're not really dead. You're not really buried. You come out. You know, it's a symbolic move uh, to show what's happened with you. I've died with Christ, and I've risen to new life with Christ. Um, it's a baptism of, of resurrection. So anyway, Verse 18, now that, this is the part that talks about people. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. He wants us to know that about himself. As a father, I, I love the fatherless, I take care of orphans, and I love the widow, and I love the stranger. Um, and if I love the stranger, I want you to love the fatherless, I want you to love the widows, and I want you to love the stranger as well. Um, I, I, I talk about... Someday, going to Europe with Jenny, wouldn't that be great to go to Europe, you know, and just see those places. I get a little nervous about going to France sometimes. I hear some bad things about those guys. They don't like us very much, I think, sometimes. And um, it may, may not be true, but maybe it's, maybe it's earned. I don't know. Maybe we're a little brash and arrogant when we show up there. I don't know. But I want help when I get there. I don't want them to look at me and say, I do not understand what you're saying, you know. I know you don't, but I'm doing my best. I was close. I mean, I've got to be close. Have you ever heard someone speak broken English? You can kind of grasp it. 
and you help them through it. You know they don't mean they want to eat the subway. You get it. They want to know directions for the subway. You can, certainly they can do that for us over there, can't they? I hope so. God wants us to love the stranger. And so when you hear someone having a difficult time, maybe in Walmart or something like that here in town, what's your first instinct? Do you hear a foreign accent and go, those people are here? (laughs) Well, it can go either way in this part of the neck of the woods, you know? Because it shouldn't be as a Christian. Your first thing was, oh, I wonder where they're from. I wonder if they need any help. You know, dollar symbols, cent symbols, those things might be confusing to them. You know, the, how do I make the conversion? Is this right? Is it, I can't read this. All the directions are, you know, I don't understand that, you know. Is your first instinct to help the stranger, to make sure that they're helped in any way? Do you love them, you know? Or is it to disdain them because they have an accent or they're not even speaking the right language? Or in America, speak, thank goodness. Can you imagine me speaking French? All I could do is put an accent on English. Hello, I'd like some crepes, please, you know? And, the, and a cheeseburger, you know? I don't think that's going to work, buddy. I want them to love me when I get over there. And I tell you what, I'll love them back if they do. Thank you for helping me. I'm not lost. Well, God's heart, no matter where our heart is, if your heart's in either, you know, maybe this is a time for you to get your heart lined up with God's. God's heart is for the stranger, for the accent, for the different language for the difficulty. And he tells us why. Therefore, love the stranger. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You may not be a stranger in your homeland, but you're a stranger every place else. Every place else we go, we're strangers. And you want them to love you. And so therefore, obviously, when the stranger comes into your neck of the woods, make sure that you're loving them and taking care of them and helping them. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him. And to him you shall hold fast. And take oaths in his name. He is your praise and he is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt and with 70 persons and now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven in a multitude. Now he is talking to the next generation but these are all the 20 year olds and under that he's talking about. They were able to witness all the great and wonderful things God did. Um, And so he says you guys know him. You know all about him. Now I want you to teach your kids about it but you have witnessed what God has done. And so um, he tells them to, uh, to follow the Lord. Verse 1, Therefore, you shall love the Lord God, your God, and keep his uh, charge, his statutes, his judgments, and his commandments always. Know today that I do not speak with your children who have not known and who have not seen the chastening of the Lord your God, his greatness and his mighty hand and his outstretched arm. I'm not talking to them. They don't know yet, which is interesting. I'm not holding them accountable for not following me because they've never seen me work before. But you have. You're without excuse. You need to know these things. His signs and his acts, which he did in the midst of Egypt to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all his land, what he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses and their chariots, how he made the waters of the Red Sea overflow them as they pursued you and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day what he did for you in the wilderness until you came to this place, and what he did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, the son of Reuben, uh, how the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, their households, their tents, and all the substance that was in their possession in the midst of all Israel. But your eyes have seen, very great, seen every great act of the Lord which he did. 
You've seen it all. You've watched it all. You've witnessed it all. God has to remind us sometimes of what he's done for us. And that's important. And of course, we read the Bible and we see all the great and wonderful works he did, all five loaves and two fish. And we teach the kids all the wonderful things they've ever done, God's ever done um, through the Bible that, that are written down and documented. But we need to take it a step further. What are the great and wonderful things God has done for you specifically in your life as you've walked with him? And you need to remind yourself of those things sometimes. You know, The time when you didn't know what to do and he gave you direction. Remember that. And the time you didn't have any money, but he brought provision somehow. Remember those times. And, and let your kids, kids participate in those things, to know about those things. To see mom and dad struggle to cry out to God and see the answer that he gives them so that they can learn also to do the same things. God does that. He reminds them of it. You guys saw these things. Therefore, verse 8, you shall keep every commandment which I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and possess the land which you cross over to possess, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swore to give your fathers, to give them and their descendants a land flowing with milk and honey. I want you to obey my commandments because I want you to be strong. That's why he wants us to do it. There's, there's nothing more secure in knowing that you're right. It really is important. To knowing that you haven't sinned. Uh, a lot of examples, I don't, I'll pick on somebody here, I'm sure, but you know, if I'm driving the speed limit, my foot doesn't go to the brake when I see a cop come in the other direction. <laughs> I never have to worry about that. I don't even look at the guy, just, or gal, or whoever it is. I'm just driving I don't even have to worry about them pulling you. I'm not looking in the mirror going, oh, I wonder if I hit the brakes in time. I wonder if he saw my brakes. I can put my brakes on before he gets me, but as soon as he passes me, I've got to pull them off so he doesn't see the red lights behind me. I know the drill. That's because you're guilty. And that makes you weak. It makes you vulnerable. But when you're obedient to God, when you're walking with the Lord, it makes you strong. That's important. It's important to have a clear conscience. That's how you get a good night's rest. It's important you've obeyed God and walked with him. It, it helps bring, take anxiety out of your life. It makes it very, just a much better life when you're walking with the Lord. And he says, I'm doing this so that you can be strong, so that you can possess the land, so that you can seem so to be afraid of your enemies. Verse 10, for the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed, and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. But the land which you cross over to possess is in the land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. And then he talks about here in a minute the former and latter rains. Two, two types of places he's discussing there. There was the Egypt land when they would plant the seed, and they'd have to carry the water behind. The seed would go in, they poured a little water on it. They had to irrigate that way. That's how they irrigated their fields because it was horrible land. He says, that's not the land I'm taking you to. The land of Egypt was hard and difficult. You could get things growing maybe, but boy, it was labor intensive. But over here in my land, the water falls. It gets collected by the mountains and it streams down into the valleys and so that it almost waters itself basically. And then he says, I care for it. I take care of it and I look at that. These are two types of soils. And I, and I spiritualize the text a little bit, so forgive me. But he is talking about not physical things. He's talking about being, obedience to, being obedient to God. In the obedience to God, that is the promised land. That's the land of milk and honey. That's where the seeds you plant grow and bear fruit. The land of Egypt, the world, 
When you're walking in the world and you're trying to read God's Word and you try to plant seeds into your heart, they don't grow. They dry up. You try to water them by hand. You try to do your best to irrigate, but it doesn't grow. Right now, I saw Spencer Barnes put something on Facebook. He had pulled up one of his seeds to see how it was going, and there it was. The root was coming down and the sprout was coming up. I don't know the technical terms, but he says it's starting, you know, it's beginning. I don't know why, you know, I feel, sometimes you get this question, you know, I, I don't know, pastor, I've been reading my word, I've been reading the Bible, but it's just dry. It's so dry. And you try not to put too fine a point on it, but why is it dry? Where, what's going on? Are you in the promised land? Are you in the land of obedience? Are you Because God's word says that it bears fruit and that it grows and it flourishes and has deep roots as, you're, as long as you're planted by the river. As long as you're by that river, everything grows. But when it's dry, nothing's coming off the page. I don't know if it's always the case, but I would check your obedience. Am I on the right side of the river here? Am I in Egypt, in the world? Or am I in the promised land of obedience where God can bless the seed? God's word is just not coming off the page. Maybe you're on the wrong side. Get to that place of promise. Get to the promised land, which is the land of obedience where it waters itself and it takes care of itself and it just bears fruit. You know, that's my first check. Um, it isn't always the case. Sometimes God wants us to dig a little bit. Not going to make it easy for us today. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. You got times you got to mine a little bit for some gold. That's fine. But for the most part, God's word is alive, sharper than any two-edged sword. And in the hand of the Holy Spirit to the obedient believer's life, it just flourishes. It grows. And so be careful that you're in that place. As Moses tries to draw this comparison to the people, make sure you're where you need to be. In the promised land, that's where the fruit grows. That's where God's word flourishes. It cannot produce fruit in the flesh. God's word will never produce fruit in the flesh. It's got to be in the spirit. Verse 15. And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, and I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain your new wine and your oil. There are two types of rain. You had the rain in the beginning to get things going, and you had the rain in the end to plump out the fruit, the grain and everything. You know, you get the, the corn, the cob is there, and the seeds are there, but they're not full yet. And that rain that comes later on plumps those things out, that humidity, you know, it produces that. When Israel became disobedient to God, they lost that latter rain physically and spiritually, but physically mainly. In the last 50 years, Israel's starting to get that second rain again every year. They've actually changed the climate down there. The climate has changed to where they're getting two rains a year now. They believe it's because of what happened in the 30s. They were going through a depression like everybody else in the, in the world before they actually became a nation, but they were still there. Um, um, the Zionist movement had begun and they were buying land and had people moving there and everything. And um, the people were unemployable. There was no jobs, and so they put them to work. The government did planting trees. They repopulated the whole place with trees and everything, and it, it's actually changing the climate over there. Fifty years later, it's actually bringing a second rain. That's what they believe anyway. That's what they say. Um, interesting to see what's happening. Now, besides that, spiritually, our walk with God, we start off well. We get saved. We get born again. We're full of the Spirit. We're reading His Word. We're kind of growing and doing things that... 
it's what happens later on when you're older or old. I don't know how to, how to delicately put that, but let me put it this way. Wisdom doesn't always come. Gray hair doesn't always mean wisdom. Not always. Wisdom can come with gray hair, but it doesn't always come with the gray hair. Sometimes there's lacking uh, there. And what he's saying is when you're old, when you finally reach that, there's a latter rain for you. There's a time where the Holy Spirit begins to produce fruit in your life that's been growing this whole time. Your roots have been deep into God's Word and your, your stalk has been going up and, and you've got some seeds out there, but that latter rain in your latter days of your walk with Jesus, you have, you're completing it well. You know, you're finishing well. There's some rain that comes and it plumps that out and there's fruit for people. It actually fills out. Otherwise, it just dries up and um, there's not much there, you know. Um, and so he tells them that, you know, if you earnestly obey my commandments, uh, he throws that word earnestly. Not just obey. I want you to earnestly obey. Honestly obey. Desiring to obey. Like, I love God and I want to do his will. Not, I, 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 I'm scared of God. I have to do his will. You know, uh, anniversary comes every year, right? <laughs> It doesn't do any good to write in a card, I love you. There it is. December 20. What was our 29th, I think? December 29th. You know, there it is. Throw it at her across the room. Where's mine? You know, kind of thing. Love you too. There it is. That's not exactly fruitful marriage, you know. That has to be some desire, you know. Some love, some, some uh, you know, I'm with you because I'm supposed to be. Or I have to be. Made a vow. You know, got to keep my vow. No, it ought to be because I want to be there. And so God says, I don't want you to just obey my commandments. I want you to do it because I'm a loving father, because I'm an excellent husband, because I'm always looking out for your best and always providing for you. I want you to do it because it's great. It's awesome to be obedient to God, not because you're, well, I don't know what else to do. I guess I have to be obedient. Earnestly obey my commandments, he says. And then, he says, that latter rain comes, and I will send grass to your fields for your livestock that you may eat and be filled. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods. Somewhere along that line. I started off well, but I don't know how I got off base, but I'm worshiping other gods now. Used to go to church all the time. Used to read my Bible all the time. Used to be thinking about the Lord all the time. And now, well, you know, I, I think I found my Bible. I don't know where I left my Bible. I think I left it at church or something. Or it's on the floorboard of my car or something. You know, no. Stay there, you know. Don't be deceived. Don't get distracted by other gods and worship them, lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you. And he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain and the land yield no produce and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. Be careful. Anyway, therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart. I want you to hide them in your heart and in your soul. I want them there also. Bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, like the days of heaven above the earth. Interesting. First thing he tells them to do is, I want you to hide these things in your heart and soul. Now, they just tell them, I want them to bind them as signs on your hands. Not literally, not literally put them on your forehead, not literally put them on your, you want to, you want your hands to be doing God's work. You believe God so much that you're actually doing what it says, you know. Um, 
And you want to be thinking about the Lord all the time. He's on your mind. He's what you think about before you do something. I think about what Jesus, you know, walking with Jesus. I don't think about what's best for me or best for them or anything. What's, what's, what does God want me to do? And then you teach him, you know, in, his, in doorposts of your heart, or doorposts of your, of your house also. In, in, in Jerusalem, we talked about this last, last week a little bit. They actually have actual black boxes with scripture in them that they tie to their hands and black boxes on their head that they wrap around their head and they, and they, and they pray at the wailing wall and all that. Um, and that's that, and and they also have the mezuzah that sits on the on the doorpost of their house. It's a little metal canister with a little piece of rolled up scripture, just part of it, in there, and they kiss it and touch it on the way in and out of the door. And they think they fulfilled this passage of scripture right here because God's word commands that you have it on your forehead, and you have it on your hand, and you have it on the doorpost. That's not what he's talking about. And we laugh, but we can do the same thing. Well, I've got a Bible. And I have a plaque in my house that my kids can clearly read that we serve the Lord here. That's not what he's talking about. Do you serve the Lord? Are you walking with Jesus? Do your kids experience the love of Christ in your house? Do they see it? Are you talking about them, talking about them with God uh, when you're sitting down, when you're walking, when you're lying down, you know, before they go to bed, when they rise up, is that the first thing they hear is, see, is mom reading her word or dad reading his word or praying, you know, is that what they see? experience. It doesn't matter if we have, you know, cute things we picked up at the Christian bookstore. That's fine. We've got that all over our house. There's nothing wrong with decorating with God's word. There's nothing better to decorate with, right? But it's got to be lived. It's got to be seen and experienced. Don't ever let those things fool you into thinking you're being obedient to God. Obedience to God is doing, not just showing or having them strapped to my hand and my forehead and I got this thing on my door that I touch in and out. No, no, it's got to be in the heart. It's got to be something we live. So do those things. And, I, and, and if you do these things, that last verse, that last half of the verse, like the days of heaven above the earth. And skip that. A lot of times you'll read through and you'll be like, yeah, like, yeah. God is saying, I want it to be like heaven in your home, in your family. You don't have to wait to die to experience the blessing of God in your life and in your family. Be obedient to me teach your kids my word, live my word, think about my word, have it in your heart and walk in it. And it's like heaven on earth to be obedient to God. If you don't like being obedient to God now, you're going to hate heaven. I know we won't. You get what I'm saying? If you think it's hard now, you're going to live there and there's nothing but obedience in heaven. There's nothing. I want you to have an out, even in our prayer, the Lord's prayer that he gave us as an example to pray, um, as it is in heaven. We want your will as it is in heaven. We pray that. Let me give you a scripture here. In John 10, 10, he says this. The thief, Jesus is giving a parable, but he says this about himself. The thief does not come except to, to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I want you to have the life in me that you were supposed to have, like in the garden. I want that now. I want you to have an abundant life, a fruitful life. I'm not saying a rich life, a wealthy life, you know, as far as physical things go. That may be a part of it, but that's not. I want you to have joy. I want you to have peace in your heart. I want you to have a clear conscience. I want you to have a great life. And he gives them that in obedience, in that obedience to God's word. That's where it resides. That's where God's word flourishes. Verse 22. For if you carefully keep all these commandments, which I command you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to hold fast to him, 
Then the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you, and you will dispossess greater and mightier nations than yourselves. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours, from the wilderness and Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even to the western sea shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will put the dread of you and the fear of you upon all the land where you tread, just as he said he, uh, just as he said to you. I'm going to put dread in everybody. It's interesting where they are right now, Jew, the Israelites, uh, the Jews. They're, they're in their little tiny piece of land, and they're supposed to give up all their land, and nobody else around them is supposed to give up any land. Just think about that for a minute. We want half your tiny sliver. Could you give up some of yours? Absolutely not. That's absurd. You know, whatever. All of the nations around them dread them. They all want to drive them into the sea. It's God's word coming to pass. And every time they try, they get defeated. If you look up any of the wars in the last 50 years on Israel, if you have any time, look up the Six-Day War. It's amazing. They documented how it all went down. All these nations, surprise sneak attack on Israel. Israel wiped them all out while their planes were on the ground. It was amazing. It was an unbelievable, a six-day defeat of many, many nations against that one tiny little country. It's just an amazing thing. Read that. It's God's word coming to pass. It's amazing. Um, anyway, his word is always true. But here's the thing. He'll do it for you too. He does it for me as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not only for Israel anymore. It's for me as a believer. I follow Jesus. And I can keep my eye on him and I can worship him and I have a fruitful land. I'm living in the promised land. His word is alive. I have less anxiety. I'm walking with, I'm walking with him. I have joy in my heart and I'm protected from who knows what comes against me. I'm protected. People say whatever they want to say or they've got plans or schemes or they're hoping this or hoping that and nothing comes to pass. Still walking right with him, you know. I'm not saying bad things don't happen to good people. I'm just saying if it does, God wanted it to be, and he's letting me grow through it. Verse 26, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I commanded you today. And the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other gods which you have not known I don't want you to do that. I want you to choose life. In fact, Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, he's going to say this again. I call heaven and earth as witness today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him. For he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land of the Lord, swore to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give to them. Please choose life. This is interesting. We have a free will. Some people don't think we have a free will. We think we're preset or pre-programmed or whatever, and that's, that's contrary to Scripture. We have free will. This shows it. I want for you to choose life. That's God's will for you, is to choose life. It is not for you to choose death. But it is your choice whether you're going to choose life or whether you're going to choose death. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit's there to show us this is the road to life, this is the road to death. The choice is yours, but I just want you to know the directions here. This is where God is, this is where he isn't. His will for you is to go to choose life. It'll be up to you whether you choose that or not. Please choose life, he says. I want you to choose life. He tells him that. And if that is God's will, and it isn't done in some people's life, then that means God's will isn't always done. It's free will. 
yours and his. He wants us to love him because we choose to love him. And that's up to you this morning whether you do that or not. Whether you follow life and choose life or you choose death. Um, but the, the path is clearly laid out for us. Um, it is our decision. Verse 29. Now it shall be when the Lord your God has brought you into the land which you go to possess, that you shall put the blessing on Mount Gerizim, or Gerizim uh, and the curse on Mount Ebal. Are they not on the other side of the Jordan toward the setting sun in the land of the Canaanites who dwell in the plain opposite Gilgal, beside the terebinth tree of Morah? Uh, for you will cross over the Jordan and go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you, and you will possess it and dwell in it, and you shall be careful to observe all the statutes and judgments which I set before you today. A little promise there. You are going to make it. We are going to go over there, but I want you to be careful to observe those commandments. And so this morning as we leave, that's all I can tell you. This week is going to give you a lot of different roads, a lot of different options. There's going to be a lot of different choices you're going to have to make this week. And if you heard anything this morning from God's word, he's going to tell you to choose life. Choose obedience. No matter what it costs you, no matter what it's going to hurt, choose life. Choose obedience to God. It will be the better road. I guarantee it will be the better road. Um, but you have to be ready for that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. You do. You always prepare us, God, for what's ahead. We thank you for that. We never go into anything blind. You always let us know. Here's what's coming up. And so this morning we've been given that. The children of Israel have been warned. Please keep my commandments. Please follow after me. I'm commanding you to keep my commandments um, so that you may have life and that more abundantly. We, we, he wants us. You want us to succeed, God, and we're so thankful for that. Lord, this week as we come across those things, we are prayed up and prepared. We've heard your word. We've got two more chapters under our belt. We're a lot closer to you now than we were before we came here. We've heard your word, and it's planted. We pray that it bears fruit, and it bears fruit in the land of obedience, God. We trust you. If your way is the right way, we choose it every single time, God. Please help us to be obedient to you this week. We want it. We really do. And we know that desire that we have is placed there by you. We thank you for that. So God bless these folks with wisdom as they walk this week, and the decisions are laid out before them, Lord, that they would choose you every single time. And they'd be able to recognize the difference between the, the life of curse, the life of death, or the walk of death, and then the, the, the path of life, God, that they'd see it. We thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.